text is Luke 2, 1 through 21. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 857. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good morning and Merry Christmas to you. Glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer as we turn now to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good gift of sending your son. And even the time we get over the next several days to just pause and ponder This thought, and we pray that today, as we do that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray this in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen. Uh, A little over ten years ago, cameramen and super fans, uh, all sorts of people who were excited about. 
a particular event crowded outside of St. Mary's Hospital in London for an event that hadn't happened in over or nearly at least 30 years. Uh, there were television crews camped out there. You could watch a live stream of an exit out of St. Mary's Hospital 24-7 if you wanted to. And on the time when it came about, uh, the whole world watched in anticipation as Prince George of Wales was finally born. And, and when he was born, he became third in line to the throne of the King of England. And I don't have any metric of gauging this, but that just, at least on my read, makes him probably the most powerful baby in the world at the time of when he's born. Uh, the Telegraph of London, one of the newspapers in the area, tried to capture some of the excitement of the event. This is the subtitle to their lead-off article. When a baby is expected, excitement spreads to family and friends. But with the birth of our future king, it radiated out to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know, I, I, I don't, I know many of you well, it's not my kind of thing to ask, hey, so are you really big into the royal family? So if I offend you, I'm really sorry. I, we have one person who is not British, but a citizen of the Commonwealth. So Will Harrison gets a pass for his just diehard love of anything royalty. But there may be other of you, others of you who watched with eager anticipation yourself just waiting for the countdown. I found that uh, People Magazine, their website, has like a whole archived list called Royal Baby Watch. And if you just can't get enough of England, they go to like Bhutan and any other place where royalty is being born. If you just want to wait for it, you can go get your fill there. I forgot the name of the Prince of England this week. And I've lived for the past 10 years not knowing George's name and have been totally fine. I promise. But the story that you just heard read looks like almost the total opposite of that kind of eager anticipation, uh, or at least of the, the stuff that comes along with that kind of birth. Right? There's no cameramen crowded outside. There, there's not news just traveling near and far at the moment of this child's birth. And so for all the ways in which this birth that we read about is much more mundane, much humbler, it does have much farther and even cosmic implications. You may not know who Prince George is, and that doesn't matter all that much to you and to me. But this, this baby, his birth, has ramifications for everybody in this room, and for every person throughout human history. And so this morning, as we walk through what is one of the best-known Bible stories Here's the main point that we find in the text. And I'm not a very creative person, so I just, I stole this from Luke, which is, I think, how most sermons are supposed to be. Um, but this, even the main point, I'm just lifting it here. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. That's just straight out of the mouth of the angels there in verse 10. And as we walk through, we're going to just walk through the passage. I know it's well known, but I want to pull out just... Four kind of characters. We're going to look at two divine characters and two human characters to kind of organize our time in this text this morning. Now, I, I know that Christmas season, uh, you can think of a whole host of words to describe what come with the season. One of like the negative things that pops in my mind is the word clutter. 
Okay, so there's like clutter in your house as new dishes and new decorations and presents and all sorts of things kind of pile up. Uh, there is clutter on a calendar that just fills up by the end of November and it feels like December is just got something going every single night. There's even, I would assume for many of you, what feels like mental and emotional kind of clutter that you feel like you're meant to be celebrating and being thankful, rejoicing at this. But Christmas may bring with it sorrow that things are not like you want them to be. That you miss the beloved family member. That the circumstances you thought would turn out for you this year, they've not come to pass. And so what I'm, I'm praying for you this morning, even if you would say clutter is exactly where I am. I'm having trouble even just following along because of all the clutter going on. I'm, I'm praying that even if you feel this clutter, even if you've heard this story for a thousand times before, that you'd be able with Mary to treasure all of these things. Uh, These things would lodge in your head and in your heart for the day ahead. And that you would see the great joy that God has meant in his word and through his son for you. Not just for the people out there, but for you, friend, brother, and sister. Now, again, I say this is, this is, uh, well-known, well-trod Bible territory. If you ever watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies, like you've heard a lot of these words already this season. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, though, there's just a little background I want to remind us of just running into this text. The, the, this is not the first time we hear about the birth of Jesus. It's actually something that an angel came to Mary and told her about Earlier, If you have a Bible, you can keep it open and flip over just a page or two to uh, chapter 1, verse 30 of the book of Luke. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her this. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And that brings us to kind of the first few verses of our passage. Last week we looked at the birth of John and how that was that prophecy was fulfilled, and here we see the fulfillment of the prophecy given to Mary back in chapter one. But Luke starts in Luke chapter 2 with a couple of verses of historical context. So verses 1 through 3. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Uh, Think today... And I think if I asked most of you in this room, you'd have similar answers. But think about who is the most powerful person in the world today. I'd assume, because most of you are Americans, that you would think of someone like President Joe Biden. That he is the president of one of the most influential nations in the world. Uh, We have church members who live for many years in China. So maybe what jumps to their mind is Xi Jinping who is the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, is the leader of a nation of over a billion people. 
If you're Roman Catholic, then maybe the first person who jumps to mind is the Pope who crosses over national borders into religious territory. But if you asked anybody who was alive, like when Jesus was born, who is the most powerful person in the world today? I think the first words out of their mouths are going to be Caesar Augustus. Now, so if, you're, if you're not a history buff, there's, let me give you the 30 second kind of catch up of why this is the case. Uh, Caesar was a man who, first off, was a, a military force. He was one who fought his way to power and authority. So in 31 BC, he defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra, leaders of revolt coming out of Egypt and the southern part of the Roman Empire. And he, he quelled like every major person, every, every major empire coming against him was put down so that Caesar was the king. Octavian was his name before he became Caesar. But he, by winning all these battles, he became Caesar. Which just means the, he's the emperor of the Roman Empire. He's actually the first emperor of the Roman Empire. He, he won victory over all his, his enemies and he ruled over this territory for the next 40 years. Making him not just the first emperor, but the longest reigning of all the Roman emperors. And this kind of power, this political power, this military power... It brought about what, uh, if you're if you're a kid, this is your history lesson. It brought about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, so that for well over a century, Rome enjoyed this kind of peace that it didn't have for centuries before. Then it was always fighting enemies, and now there's peace in the area. And because of that, Caesar actually becomes Caesar Augustus. So the Roman Senate, they vote at one point to give him this other title, Augustus. It means majestic, revered, or holy even. It's not something that other political people had. It wasn't a title given to governors and to mayors or even to Caesars. It was a title used in like religious kind of writings. It was what you called someone who was godlike. Even some of their gods were called, they were uh, august. They were full of holiness, of reverence, of majesty. And in this, the people of Rome, along with the leaders of Rome, you see where they're going. Right? I hope at least you see that. They're, they're not saying that this is just a mere man leading our country. But this is himself one of the gods among us. Caesar Augustus is like taking the, the military genius of Genghis Khan and the governmental power of Xi Jinping, the religious reverence and authority that is given to somebody like the Dalai Lama, and all kind of meshing that into one person. So if you go on the streets of Palestine and ask Josephus or Claudia and say, who is in charge around here? They're going to say, well, Caesar Augustus. He's the most powerful person here. When he tells us we have to go migrate back to our hometowns to be registered for taxation purposes, we do it. No choice. He tells us how high. He asks. We, he tells us to jump and we say how high. But from the halls of power in Rome, that's the, the first kind of power you see. But Luke just kind of glances there. Right, Luke is, Luke gives a sideways glance there and then he wants to like grab your head and say, don't, don't look there. Look down here. Not there. Here. At this carpenter and his betrothed and ultimately to a child laying in a feeding trough. Look down at verse four. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Joseph received this news that Caesar Augustus says, we've got to make this long trek. He lives in Nazareth. It's like northern part. He has to travel south to Bethlehem, a 70 to 100 mile journey to his home in Bethlehem. And what an inconvenient time. It's not a good, it's just not convenient for me to go travel by foot or by mule or donkey to this place because his betrothed is pregnant. And so pregnant that he can't leave her back home. She has to travel with him. What miserable timing. It's like having a kidney stone removed the week before Christmas or something like that. Amen. <laughs> For those of you who didn't know, that was Laura's week last week. My wife, who got a kidney stone removed last week. What terrible time. But maybe not. You heard Charlie read this earlier out of Micah. Chapter 5, the first few verses are there on your note sheet. Verse verse 1 paints this picture of Israel in the midst of distress. Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. What terrible time. And then in verse 2, Micah shows that there is hope coming, even in the midst of terrible timing and from a most unexpected place. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This little city is too small, too small to be of any significance. But we're told that one day a ruler from of old will come from there. And it just so happens that nearly 700 years later, there's a person in power who has the authority, at least politically, to send people back to their hometowns. And it just so happens that a decree will be sent. It just so happens that Joseph and his wife will be from that little insignificant city. It just so happens that it will be the time when Mary will give birth. And so let me ask you the question that... Maybe you'd go ask Josephus on the street, who is in charge here? Who's in control of what's going on in this story and in the lives of Joseph and Mary and all those around them? The answer is, was told even thousands of years earlier in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is the Lord God who is the sovereign king of all the world, of all of history. The Lord is exalted above all earthly power. So there is nothing that falls outside of his realm. This decree from Caesar that Joseph probably heard and thought was nothing but just a burden to him. God is using that. To show him, to take him to the place where he needs to go. Joseph may feel like I'm just playing the hand that's dealt me by Caesar. But it is God who has stacked the deck so that it turns into this fulfillment of prophecy. 
And brothers and sisters, it is good news that we worship a God who is the sovereign king of everyone and everything. Your life and mine, my guess is that most of the times you may say, I want control, but most of the times you don't have it. It's not in your hands. And sometimes it may even be that the lack of control that you have or feel comes at the hands of somebody who is over you. The boss or the ruler of that place. But let me ask you to lift your eyes and ask, who is in charge around here? Uh, earlier this year, one of our elders, uh, Kyle, was let go from his job unexpectedly. And, and that kind of shock is something that nobody looks forward to. That nobody anticipates, very few people at least anticipate that kind of thing. It's fear-inducing. And it's easy in that situation to think kind of one-dimensionally, horizontally. It's that guy who's in charge. That guy who brought this about. That guy who is responsible for this. But what I've seen and give thanks for in the lives of Kyle and Jessica and their family, and I even heard from their lips, is a trust that God is in control. And it may not be their plan, and I certainly don't want to imply to you that it's been easy. In fact, when I just texted earlier this week and said, hey, can I, can I use this in my sermon? Uh, Kyle was like, don't forget, this has been really hard too. But we feel oftentimes like the, the believer in Mark 9 who's shouting out to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? It doesn't mean that it's an easy fought battle, that we go from victory unto victory, but a firm belief in one who is infinitely wise and infinitely good and infinitely loving, believing that he is in charge means that we can trust him. And that even when we feel like we are playing the hand that has dealt us as best we can, we can know that he is the one who is in control. Who's the stack to the deck for us. So direct your gaze away. Brother and sister, direct your gaze away from the boss who fired you. Or from the government official who made that law. And look instead to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Christians have often quoted, find comfort in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That comfort is only possible if you believe that God is in control and that he is sovereign and rules above all things. And this is part of the good news even of the gospel, that we worship a God who is the sovereign king. If you want kind of the theological lingo, we'd say that God is transcendent. He is exalted in dignity. He exercises control and authority in his creation. And you can go throughout the Bible and find that kind of teaching. That is not just a story of Christmas, but of the Bible. But part of the miracle of Christmas, and what we see maybe most clearly here, is that God is not only transcendent. He he is not only exalted high above all things, but out of touch with us or inaccessible or unwilling to stoop down to his creation. We say that God is transcendent, but we also say God is imminent, meaning he is present throughout the whole creation, especially to his people in personal and intimate ways. And this is where we see this most clearly. 
we see the transcendent God, the one who is king over all things, become imminent and step into flesh as he comes as Christ, the Savior and Lord. At the birth of Jesus, we see that this God doesn't just stay uninvolved, uninterested, high and mighty, but not concerned about those below him. Look with me at at verse 8, and you'll see this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, I was trying to think through like what it would what it feel like to have this kind of jolt. Uh, and maybe you've had this experience, parents, but where you are just, it is dark and you're cozy in your bed. And you just peep open your eye just just a little bit. And three inches from your face is your loving child just staring you. And you have no idea how long they've been there. And you're filled with great fear. Uh, this happened to Laura one day. And Laura, filled with great fear, screamed in great fear, which woke me up and filled me with great fear. And, of course, the child was also terrified that her mother was screaming in her face and ran away. This is the filled with great fear. These shepherds, they're out in the dark. They've, they maybe have seen the bear, the lion. You think of David and all the, the enemies that he's attacked, but nothing like this has ever happened before. There is a light that comes out. And it's not just like somebody has lit a candle. It's not called just a light. It's called the glory of God. Think about like the pillar of fire or the glory of the Lord coming in the tabernacle where it says Moses can't even approach it. That is the kind of light that we're talking about, the kind of glory that we see. And from this glorious light, an angel speaks some of the most well-known words in all of Scripture. They are tidings of comfort and joy, as we sang earlier. And these, this, this angel, like the news is so good, uh, you just think of... Like all the angelic host who know what's going on and they just can't help but come and join in the chorus and sing praise to this God and to the birth of his son, Jesus. And there, there is in this text, there is enough here for like a sermon series, but we're not going to do that this morning. I hope if you come back tonight, we'll reflect more on who Christmas is for and some of what's happening here. But this morning, I, I want to focus our attention on verse 11. And the identity of the news that they're talking about. This is the good news that they say is coming. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Just take those three words. Who is? What is this good news? This good news is that the Lord has come. And that word Lord, uh, you can think of it as a word like master, somebody who is in charge. It can mean that maybe this baby one day is just going to have some sort of authority. 
But but the word is one that Luke has used over and over and over throughout the gospel already. So this is the 20th time that the word Lord appears in the gospel of Luke. And he never uses it to talk about authority or like just somebody who has some sort of good position. Uh, I think there's like two or three times where he uses it to talk about Jesus. And then 17 or 18 times where he uses it to talk about God himself. So what, what these angels are proclaiming is something that we've already seen come out of the words of Elizabeth, that this baby is in himself God. The rest of the gospel is going to play that out as Luke is going to show that this Jesus is no mere man, but he is fully man and fully God, which is the mystery of Christmas, the, the magnificence of the incarnation that we celebrate. Uh, many of you know that I, I love Lauren, one of my my favorite Christmas tradition, I think, is going to see a guy named Andrew Peterson at a concert up in Nashville. Laura and I go every year, and he sings this song uh, called Labor of Love, talking about the birth of Jesus. Now you'll find some of the lyrics there on your note sheet. He, he's talking about Mary, and he, he says this, But the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. This God of the Son, fully God, from eternity past, he takes on flesh and he becomes man. This baby born, part of the good news is that he is not just a baby, but that he is God himself. This baby is the Lord. This baby is also said to be the Christ. At this point, we kind of use the Christ as like a last name, like it's Adams, it's Jesus Christ. I had, uh, when I was a kid, all the pastors in my church were brother so-and-so, and so for years I thought that my senior pastor's first name was brother and last name was James. It hit me as a huge shock when I found out that that wasn't the case. Christ is that way too. Christ is not just like a last name, it's the word Messiah, anointed one. He's the promised fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel. But the lead-off title, the, the words that the angel uses first here is that God has sent in Jesus a Savior. A Savior. Now, if somebody walks up to you on the street and says to you, your Savior is here, you may want to question their, whether you should stay very close to them based on their sanity. But your second kind of follow-up reaction should be, Savior from what? Do, what do I need saving from? Perhaps if you're, if you're here in this first audience hearing this story, or the shepherds hearing Savior, maybe what comes to mind is we need saving from somebody like Caesar Augustus. He's a foreign power who's over us, who dominates over us. So maybe we need this kind of political Savior. Uh, I, I looked today, just found a website on the United Nations uh, website. They have a, a whole page dedicated to what I think is called Global Issues, where they kind of take some of the most pressing issues that they uh, of humankind that they would tag today. So everything from aging populations to climate change to access to fresh water, a host of other topics that they demand. They say this is what world leaders need to be paying attention to. And there are, there are many of those issues that don't need to be ignored. We shouldn't minimize that. But at rock bottom of that question, what is it that you need saving from? We need to look just back in our text a little bit. This actually used a couple weeks ago in Zechariah's mouth. 
So turn back to Luke 1, 76. Just last week we talked about this from the lips of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Speaking of his son, John, he turns in verse 76 and says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, Later in Luke chapter 19, after his interaction with Zacchaeus, so the wee little man, remember that song? Jesus just very succinctly tells us what his mission is. Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, the world needs a savior, not from all the issues that are pressing in on us that we can try to solve with a hundred other ways. The world needs a savior because... We all, in sin, are lost. There are a host of other things, other problems that we may face, but, but this is one that even if you list it on a UN website, they can never hope to tackle something like this. And you can't either. For all the things that come against us, the things that press in on us as problems, this is a place where we say we have no hope and no solution in ourselves. We need saving because it is the problem that goes deepest in us and it is the thing that we cannot hope to save ourselves from. But God, who is transcendent and holy, he knows this. He is holy. He is without stain or blemish. His perfect justice means that in his sight, sin is odious, that it's offensive, and that justice comes against it. And you can't fix that by just getting some more education. We're getting another promotion. But God in his great mercy knew what our greatest need was. And he sent the only thing, the only solution to that greatest need. Uh, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, he puts it this way. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us a savior. And here is the good news and great joy of the gospel. Even the gospel of Christmas, God the transcendent has come down in the person of Jesus Christ to meet our greatest need. He did not stay removed and remote, a God who is high but who is cut off from the needy. He stooped down to become like us and take on flesh. And because he has taken on flesh, he is now able to be the perfect substitute for sinners so that all who turn to him who trust in him, they find peace and joy and life. And that is the good news that we want to be clearest about today. And so friends, if you're here visiting with us, we're so glad whether you were invited by a church member, whether you are here because you know it's Christmas Eve and it's a religious kind of holiday, so if you want to be in a place that feels like it has something of religion about it, you are always welcome here. We're glad that you are here with us, but we don't want to leave without being clear about this. 
that there is, among all the many needs that you have, a greatest need. A thing which you cannot hope to save yourself from. And there is great hope found in this one place. That God has sent his son in Christ. That he might be peace for those who would turn to him. And friend, if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you after the service. You can find me down front. Or if you came here with a friend, just go to lunch. Ask them this week, how can I know this God? This God who is high and exalted over all, but who stoops to be with and among his people. Who stoops to save his people from their sin. Now there, there is, those are the two divine characters, really the people, the, the beings, the people at the heart of this story. Who this God is and who his son Jesus is. You need to know that more than anything else. But there are a couple of other characters we should look at, some human characters who hear this good news and who respond. So that takes us to the shepherds and to Mary, the recipients of this good news. So look with me starting at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Once the the angels leave, the shepherds depart to make this short trek to see this baby in a manger. And just think... About the humility of that kind of setting. One who deserves to be born in a palace with all the sights and sounds, the announcements that come for royal births, instead lies in a feeding trough meant for animals. And they have to go and see it. And when they see Jesus, they can't help but spread the good news to all of those around it so that some hear it and they wonder at what's happening so that Mary hears and she ponders this up in her heart. And ultimately the shepherds leave. They're like little copies of the angels now. They, they go with praise and glory in their mouths from this place. Now, I, nobody leaves the, the news of this birth uh, just with just like a, without responding in some way. Everybody in the story responds. There's no kind of innocent bystander who just isn't there. You, you have some people here who hear it and the words that they, they wonder. It's, it's like interesting news that just kind of comes and they, they think about it maybe quickly that turns into a good story. They can tell their friends later around the, the water cooler. Hey, I heard this crazy thing that happened this weekend. But for Mary, the message of the shepherd, it lodges deeper and travels farther with her. It's like the thing that kind of gets stuck in your head that you mull over so that when you turn over in your sleep, it's there almost immediately and you can't put it down. And in your downtime, you just can't stop thinking about it. And you, friends, you've heard the same news that the shepherds heard and that Mary heard today. 
that you've, you've heard all of this and you too must respond. You will respond in some way. Uh, you, you can just say, well, this is an interesting tidbit. I, I want to wonder. But I want, I want to exhort you towards what Mary does and what these shepherds do. So I'm, I'm going to just three exhortations kind of as we come to a close. I want to exhort you, to call you like Mary, to treasure these things and ponder them in your hearts. Uh, there are a, I used the word clutter earlier, there are just a million things that call for your mental attention. And Christmas feels like that, maybe turned up to 11, but all of life feels like that to me frequently. That you're constantly taking in information. There's some that you have to deal with. There's some that you want to store away for later. There's a lot of it that you just kind of forget. I want to encourage you to not let this kind of news join the chorus of background noise. Just interesting tidbits that you lodge away and you kind of pull out when you need to. Think instead of the man of Psalm 1. The man who meditates day and night upon the law of the Lord. That is the kind of news that this is. The birth of Jesus Christ, his coming into our world, him taking on flesh is news that doesn't just get recited at Christmas and then kind of passed over until we gather back here next year. It's something that we ponder. It's something that you turn over in your head. It's something you say, what great need must I have that this is what it takes to solve my problem? What great love must the Father have that he send his only Son into these circumstances? What great king do we serve in a Savior who would come down from heaven and subject himself to this? Friends, my, my prayer for you, what I have been praying and what I even told you earlier, is that this would be like a, a pebble in your shoe today and tomorrow and in the weeks ahead. That you would not be able to just kind of keep going, but you'd have to constantly pay attention to it. That you'd have to think about this truth. God sent his son in the world to save sinners. Take that phrase and mull that over. Ask the Lord to drive it, not just into something that you pull up every now and then, but something that wells up from your heart through your lips. Which brings us to the second way that we should be responding as we see shepherds. And first, the, I want to, we should be responding like shepherds in that they are compelled, it feels like, to tell others what happens. They go to the, the manger, they see what is taking place, and they're like, this, I got it, we have to tell. I have to tell you what happened, what we saw. And it doesn't say they just told Mary and Joseph, it says all who heard it. There's more people who maybe aren't there in the stable that night, who aren't there by the manger side, but who they pass on their way back, who they see the next day. They're those who own the sheep when they take it and say, let me tell you what has happened. These shepherds, I, I don't think, I don't know, we don't know any of their names. We don't know any of their training. I assume that they're good shepherds. I assume they're not great rhetoricians, that they've got wonderful language that's flowery that they can use. I assume that they don't have any specific training. They're not scholars, but they had heard good news of great joy. And if that was the case, there was nothing left to stop them from telling others. And brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage many of you I know who have been Christians for a long time. That just feels like 
feels like it's harder, like maybe even most of your friends are Christians, this church is Christians, you've built relationships here, and it is hard. It is sometimes terrifying to talk about this truth with someone who does not know it. And so friends, let me, let me take you back to point one. Treasure this in your heart and ponder this and see if the Lord might not bring it to your lips more frequently. See if the good news just starts to bubble up a little bit more often. I loved when uh, one of my friends who, who didn't know the Lord uh, started coming to the church where I was formerly. And he was just saying, something is wrong in my life and I, I need something. Uh, I grew up in a church. I've kind of walked away from that. Uh, I don't know what I need. I, the Lord was so kind to save that brother. And for the next like six months to a year... It was like every time we got together, he was asking me to pray for his relationships with his unbelieving friends. It was like this good news hit him for the first time and he just couldn't help talking about it. I hope that that's, that's us. And I know that's hard for many who have known this news for a long time. But let's work and pray. Church, members of Philadelphia Baptist, let's work and pray to see this spread into every corner of our lives so that it just has to bubble up out of our lips. And lastly, that task even becomes easier as we are praising and glorifying the Lord as we see the shepherds doing in this text. This is news of joy. It's glad tidings. I said this a few weeks ago, but one of the reasons that we have so many, if you go open a hymnal, like you'll find... Two or three songs on the Holy Spirit. You'll find a few Thanksgiving songs and like a huge section of Christmas songs. Because we know that this is worth our praise and glory. Because we're approaching a mystery for which we have nothing left to do but just to sing. To praise and glorify the Lord. And as we sing, like that's something we should be doing here. But that kind of praise and glory doesn't just stay in the church I hope it goes out with you. I don't mean you have to go sing at your workplace. They might not like that. But you can say, I'm just rejoicing in what God has done for me. And I have no hope, no choice but to tell you more about it. I'll close with this reflection from uh, from J.C. Ryle. This is his reflection on these good tidings. We need not wonder at these words. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet for Christ's sake justify the ungodly. Salvation was no longer to be seen through types and figures but openly and face to face. The knowledge of God was no longer to be confined to the Jews, but to be offered to the whole Gentile world. The first stone of God's kingdom was about to be set up. And if this was not good tidings, there never were tidings that deserved the name. Friends, if anything deserves to be called good news of great joy, it is this. That today, a Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. Good news of great joy for all the people. Let's pray and thank him for that even now. Lord, we do thank you for the good news that you have sent your son into the world. We thank you even just for the time we have today. 
to stop and ponder that. And I pray that that would lodge in our hearts and our minds. So that even tonight and tomorrow as we are celebrating this with others, that you would bring this good news to our lips. That you would help us to worship you by the way in which we think, the way that we love, and what we do. We pray all this now in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.